Well, good morning. God is good and all the time. Welcome to Hallmark this morning. If you are new, uh, my name is John and I am blessed to serve as the pastor here. How many of you love to travel? Okay, all right, a few of us. How many of you hate to fly? Okay, some of you, I mean, you're like scared to death about flying, okay? The flying's not so bad. I think it's the fear of falling, right? That's that maybe that what you're worried about. I, I'll be honest, it doesn't bother me at all. The only thing that really kind of makes me nervous about flying is um, I don't want to sit in the, I don't want to sit on the window. I don't want to be trapped. How many of you have that same feeling like I want to get out when I want to get out. I don't, I, I don't want to have to ask someone to move. I just don't want to push someone out of my way. But anyways, we, we were flying to Florida this week, and I watched this guy uh, go up to the counter, and uh, I, I don't usually, haven't really flown much with Southwest Airlines, and you know, whether you like them or not doesn't really matter, but we uh, were like, you don't get a seat, in advance, you just have to like get a number, you line up, and I mean, it's organized. I just don't, I want to know where I'm going to sit, and I want to know that I have an aisle seat. And, but anyways, that's not even a part of what I'm supposed to tell you. Uh, and so I watched this guy go up, they scan, there's a problem, you know, he's got his phone there scanning, and he was trying to get on the wrong flight. And they're like pointing over another direction, he kind of shamelessly, you know, takes the walks of shame, that kind of thing. And so I think it's a good idea probably to know where you're going before you get on the plane. Would you agree to that? And we think about this idea of our final destination. Do you realize that we are eternal beings? That we're, we're going we're gonna, to, it's appointed unto man once to die. Like this body, this specimen of a man that is looking so good before you today one day is going to be glorified. That's right. I'm pretty close already. No. It's going to be nothing. Dust. Right? But, but me, who I am, my soul, I'm going to have a final destination. And you are too. And this week, we're starting a new series called, as you can see, Final Destination. And so as eternal beings, God, the scriptures teach us that God has written eternity on our hearts and that we long for something that's beyond this earth. And what I want you to know today is that you are going to spend an eternity somewhere. You do have a final destination. You're going to spend eternity in one of two places. You're either going to spend eternity in the presence of of God doing exactly what we just sang about. Three weeks ago, we were at Isaiah chapter 6, and we read the passage. Remember that the angels were crying out, holy, 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 and then it was like this chant from the other side of the throne room, holy, holy, holy. And as followers of Jesus, we're going to spend an eternity in the presence of God, singing and praising the holiness of God. And we just got to do that together here. Like church, gathering in a corporate setting like this, singing praises unto God, is just a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. And y'all are actually going to be able to sing good then, okay? Because as Bart said, we have a glorified body. But the other destination 
is a place of torment. A place that you will spend an eternity paying the price of your sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is is death. Death saying what it was intending, what it's meaning there is eternal separation from a holy, righteous God, your creator. Eternal separation from God. Those are the two destinations. You and I are going to one of those two places. Forever in the presence of God. Forever banished from the presence of God. And I want you to walk away this morning confident of your final destination. Because I think knowing where we're going gives us courage for the journey. And we need courage for the journey. As we walk the next 10 weeks or so, we're going to walk through the book of Revelation. So I want to invite you to turn to Revelation. And we're not, like this series is going to be kind of a flyover view of the book of Revelation. There's no way in 10 weeks we could dig into every information that's in Revelation. There's no way that we could mine every possible thought or theory or truth out of this. But we're going to kind of give this fly overview. Uh, it, two years ago, on this Sunday, actually, the, the first Sunday of June, two years ago, 2020, we started a series called The Church is Essential. That was the first Sunday back after being quarantined and after being, you know, we couldn't come into the church building. And we did a series on the, chapters two and three of Revelation, the, the letters to the church. And so next week, we're going to go real quickly over those. But if you want more information on that particular, those two particular chapters, you can go back on our YouTube channel or on our website and watch that. June the 7th, 2020 is when that series starts. But as we, as we get into the series today, I want to say something real quick before we move on. Today, I'm excited because today's dessert auction. Are you excited about that? Hey, if you are new to Hallmark, this is like, I mean, it, this is awesome, okay? Now, it's expensive, but it's awesome, okay? And we get an opportunity uh, after our 1045 Connect groups in the Family Center, about 1115, they're going to have some burgers ready, and we get to invest in our students. I, that's where, I mean, I love dessert. Can I get an amen for some dessert this morning? Like some banana pudding. I, I, I've been in there twice already this morning just scoping out all the desserts and figuring out. I hid one actually uh, in my office. No, I'm just kidding. But really I'm excited is that we get to invest in our students. As we think about final destination, you know the highest percentage of people who give their life to Christ who settle their final destination happens before they're 18 years of age. And so we get an opportunity to invest into students who are going to get to go to, student, to youth camp to hear the gospel and to respond to the gospel. And, and that's really what it's about. I also want to say last week, uh, really the last two Sundays, I, um, we've had two different people preach. Carlos on graduation Sunday and Nathan last week uh, wrapped up our series on dangerous prayers. And I am thankful that Hallmark is blessed with men who can preach the word of God, aren't you? I'm thankful for Carlos. Yeah, you can give them a hand. Carlos and Nathan did a, a great job. Now, as we end the series last week, Dangerous Prayers, 1 Samuel chapter 3, Nathan said, speak to me. And Nathan really, 
I mean, I was challenged and I wasn't in the room. I listened to it Sunday afternoon and challenged about how much time or how little time maybe that I spend in prayer. And what I want us, as we look at the, we're, we're going to really quickly look at the first chapter of Revelation this morning. What I want us to think about today as we, again, on the heels of dangerous prayers, is that as a church, as followers of Jesus, I don't want to play it safe. I don't want to just pray safe prayers. As a church, I don't want to just play it safe. I don't want to just pray safe prayers as a church. God, just give us provision and protection. The world is crazy out there. Protect us from them crazy people. God has much more for this church than safe prayers. And when we walk through the book of Revelation, it should challenge us. Like, we're not just reading, we're not just studying the end times and prophetic events just to have knowledge. In fact, I want to read for you, it'll be on the screen, a quote from Warren Wiersbe, a theologian, and in his commentary talked about the purpose in which the book was written. He says, John did not send this book of prophecy to the assemblies. Again, so he's writing a letter to the seven churches. We're going to read that in a minute. He didn't do it in order to satisfy their curiosity about the future. God's people were going through intense persecution, and they needed encouragement. This is where the statement, that kind of underline, I think, theme for the series is this, that when knowing where you're going gives you courage for the journey. God's people were going through intense persecution and needed encouragement. It continues on to say, as, as they had faced this persecution, as they heard this book, its message would give them strength and hope. But even more, its message would help them examine their own lives. And each local assembly determined these areas needed for correction. And, and so as we look at the book of Revelation, Knowing where we're going gives us courage for the journey, but it also should give us an opportunity to have some self-reflection. They were not only to hear the word, but they were also to keep it. As a guard, as a treasure, and practice what it said, the blessing would come not just by hearing, but even more so by doing. So when we study the book of Revelation, it should lead us to action. So let's get into it, all right? What we're going to do this morning is we're just going to, I'm going to walk through the first chapter. We're going to read like verse by verse. I'm going to give you some understanding maybe of that. And then we're going to end with really one closing application, one real closing thought, all right? So Revelation chapter number one says here, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's pause there for a moment. Okay, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation is the Greek word is apocalypsis where we get the word apocalypse, all right? And we think of apocalypse, you may, like me, think, oh, it's like the end of the world. But really the meaning is just simply unveiling. It's a revealing, it's an unveiling. So here in the very first few words, it's the unveiling of what or who? What does it say? Jesus Christ, verse one. It's the unveiling, it's the revelation, it's the revealing. So it's not just about events, although there are events. 
The purpose of the book is to reveal the person of Jesus Christ. When we look into Scripture, what we are always going to look for is, how does this point me to Jesus Christ? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, him being Jesus, to show his servants things which must shortly take place. Now, just briefly, this word shortly really is not speaking to when it's going to happen, but how it's going to happen. In other words, when these events start unfolding, they're going to happen rapidly. It doesn't mean that in just a moment they're going to happen, but when they do happen, it speaks to how rapidly they'll take place. Let's keep reading. He sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness. This is the apostle John. It says, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all the things that he saw. You're going to see that phrase often in the book of Revelation, the things that he saw or what he looked at, and he's going to reveal those to us. He's going to explain those to us. Verse 3, this is what Warren Wiersbe was speaking to, the quote we just read. Blessed is he who reads. So this morning as I read the word of God to you, I'm blessed. But it continues. Blessed are those who read and those who, what's the next word? Hear. So if you'll just listen There's a blessing here for you this morning. Blessed is those who read, those who hear the words of the prophecy, speaking of what this text is giving us, a prophecy. And then it says, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. And I think the implication of the reading and the hearing of the word of this prophecy is that it will lead us to action. It's as James spoke, that faith without works is dead. James also said, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. So we're not just studying the book of Revelation for information. The information should lead to transformation that leads to application, all right? We need to get to application. What does God want me to do as a result of what he's teaching me in his word? Verse number four, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, all right? So here we see again, John is writing. This is his greeting. This is John. Hey, the apostle John, you know who I am. I'm writing this to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Later in the chapter, it's going exp- to give us those seven churches. And then he says, again, this is his greeting. Grace to you and peace from him, from Jesus, who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. What a great opening part of this verse of Scripture. Verse number five. It's from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, speaking of the priority of his resurrection, the first to have, a, as has already been mentioned, the first to raise to a glorified body. He wasn't the first in scripture we see that brought back to life, right? Jesus even uh, brought Lazarus back to life, but when Lazarus was brought back to life, he was not brought back into his glorified body because Lazarus died again, okay? And, but Jesus is the firstborn. This speaks to the priority of his resurrection. It speaks also to the fact that he was resurrected into a glorified body. And then it says that he's the ruler of the kings of the earth, in Matthew chapter 28, we get the great commission that we're to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, bearing life as death, and raising life in the resurrection. I just gave you a baptism quote. And then he says that we are to teach these things, to observe all things that we've commanded. 
But what does it say right before, go you into all the world? Jesus speaking to disciples. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 28? He said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. So as we see this future idea that Jesus has all power and all glory that we just sang about, it's also a present reality now. Jesus is Lord over all. Jesus is King of kings. Jesus is in control. Can you say amen to that? That when the world is chaotic, we can trust Jesus still has all authority and power. This may sound familiar, the rest of this verse number five, because we just sang about it. It says, to him who loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood, in verse six, and has made us kings and priests to God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. I love when we sing scripture, which we just sang about. Verse five and six are powerful verses when we think about our series, Final Destination. John is writing to the churches in Asia Minor, the seven churches. They're followers of Jesus. They're believers in Jesus. And he reminds them of who they are in Christ, that Christ has loved us, that he's washed us from our sin with his own blood. So he's reminding them, the, the early believers who are suffering major persecution of their final destiny, that they will spend eternity in the presence of God. And why and how will they be able to spend eternity in the presence of God? It's because they've been washed by the blood of Jesus. So the most important thing that I want you to walk away from this morning is this, is I want you to understand, I want you to be confident. Do you know where you're going? There's two destinations, heaven, hell, presence of God, banished from the presence of God. And the Bible is very clear on how we can know where we're going. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of our sin is, is death, the separation from God for all eternity, one of two destinations. It says here that we were washed by the blood of Christ and we see that he loves us. And one of the most quoted verses of scripture, John three sixteen, for God so, what's the next word? He so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him, they will not perish, but they will have eternal life. Again, it mentions the two destinations. If you believe in Jesus, you will spend an eternity in the presence of God if you don't believe in Jesus, you will spend an eternity banished from the presence of God. Perish, eternal life. That's the two destinies. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for you. And confess that Jesus is the only way. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, in the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you want to know where you're going so you can have courage for the journey? Admit 
that you're a sinner. Believe Jesus died not just for the world. He died for you. And confess Jesus is Lord. You don't have to have any memorized prayer. You just have to do those three things. You, you can do that right where you're at, right in your seat, right now, right in this moment. Admit, yes, I'm a sinner. Believe Jesus died for you. Confess Jesus is Lord. Right now, you could do that. And, and if, if the Lord leads you to make that decision, can I invite you at the close of the service? I'll, I'll be right down here. You can come talk to me about it. You can scan the QR code, let us know online. We want to celebrate with you that God has sealed by the Holy Spirit your destiny. That's something to celebrate, isn't it? I want everyone to know for sure where you're going. All right, let's keep, let's keep reading. Verse number seven. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. We don't have tons of time to walk through this, but in verse 7, he's really speaking of the, when we talk about future events in Revelation, he's talking about the second coming of Christ when he comes on the Mount of Olives. He speaks of, notice it says, behold, he's coming with clouds. It's not in the clouds, with clouds. And he's referencing, I think, Hebrews chapter 12. We're not going to look at that verse now. We'll look at it in a minute. But it says we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. It's talking about saints. It's the same thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, when Paul said that we can mourn at death, but we can mourn with hope, knowing that at some day Jesus is going to bring with him those who are with him in the clouds. Like it's speaking here to future event, the second coming of Christ. And we're go- we'll-, we'll unpack this a little more later in the series. Verse number eight. If you have a Bible that has the red letter edition, this verse is mostly in red, meaning this is the words of Jesus. And Jesus says, verse number eight, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse number nine, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos. And so he's exiled on the island of Patmos. You can think of Alcatraz here, that he's banished because he's, why is he banished? Why is he sent as a prisoner to this island? It says, for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. In other words, he has faced severe persecution. Most theologians think that this, that uh, when the Apostle John wrote this was around 95 uh, A.D., probably about the age he is at the time as well, like he's the last apostle standing. Some theologians believe that John was uh, put into boiling oil and survived and then was exiled to the, the island of Patmos. And so because his faith in Jesus Christ, the emperor at the time, Dementia, was like torment. Like it's amazing to me how we as Americans claim to be persecuted for Christ. Because someone said something negative on Facebook about our church. 
So understand that John is writing to the seven churches in Asia Minor who for the last 30, 40, 50 years have suffered severe persecution under Nero and the next ruler, Titus, and the next ruler. And now he's, he's isolated, imprisoned on the island of Patmos. And you understand that knowing where you're going gives you courage for the journey. And as he's exiled, because of his faith in Jesus, he writes to the churches. Well, let's, let's keep reading. We, there's so much we, I want to stop and just talk a lot, but we've got to keep going. I'm also thinking about dessert, if I'm a little bit honest with you. So as he's on the island, verse 10, as we pick up, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And ever since the resurrection of Christ, the Lord's day would reference the Sunday. Not the Sabbath, but Sunday. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. It's not a trumpet. It's just his reference of it sounded so loud as if a trumpet. And what does the voice say? I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see right in the book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia Minor, to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. Can you imagine what he's hearing this voice? And we don't exactly understand when it says I was in the spirit or I was in the spirit. It, it almost gives us the understanding that John, and I know in a Baptist church, we may not want to talk about this, that John had this like out-of-body experience that he somehow was transported into the very presence of God. And he hears the voice, I am the first and the last, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. And he turns. Whose voice is this? Let's keep reading. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. Having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. We'll talk about that in a minute. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. And this reference, this title, the Son of Man, is always referencing Jesus the Messiah. He sees a picture. He sees the risen, resurrected Jesus Christ. Could you imagine seeing the resurrected Jesus Again, think of the last 40 or 50 years that John has suffered intense persecution. And he's allowed the opportunity to see in the throne room of God, to see the very resurrected, glorified Savior. And then he gives us this description. He was clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. This is really a picture of a king. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. So in verse 13, we see him describing the majesty of Jesus. In verse 14, we see him describing the purity, the righteousness, the holiness of Jesus. Verse 15, his feet were like fine brass and refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. We see his authority, his power. In verse 16, he had his right hand, seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance or his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And we see his majesty, his purity, his authority, his glory, the power and the glory of God. You remember when Moses said, God, I just want to see your glory. And what did God tell Moses? You can't handle my glory. 
I'll give you a glimpse. And John sees the glory of God. You remember three weeks ago when we were in Isaiah chapter 6, and we already referenced this this morning, but when Isaiah got a glimpse of Jesus and God in his throne, what was Isaiah's response? He fell to his face and he says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. And the angel took uh, the, the, the coal from the fire and seared his mouth as to cleanse him and to purify him. And, and what did we say three weeks ago? When we get a proper perspective of God, it always leads to a proper perspective of ourselves, which should lead us to repentance. It should lead us to be in awe of who God is, that the God who has all power and all dominion, as we just sang about, all majesty, all holiness, all righteousness, the creator, the king of kings, the alpha and the omega, the Jehovah, God loves you. And what should our response be when God gives us a glimpse of his glory? It seems like in scripture it's always to fall. Well, let's read what it says in verse number 17. When I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as dead. And if you don't ever get to a point of humbling yourself, to the God of the universe, then I would say you have never clearly seen the glory and the power of God. And I picture John down on his knees, falling before God in worship. Can you imagine what he's thinking as he sees just a glimpse of his majesty, his power, his glory, and he falls to his knees. And what does the rest of the verse say? Jesus put his hand on his shoulder. And what did he say? Don't be afraid. You see, when we know where we're going, we can have courage for the journey. And I get a picture of a father grabbing his son by the shoulder and saying, I got it. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. What, what are we already seeing this morning? Even when I don't see it, I know you're working. Do not be afraid. These are not just idle words. He goes on to explain to John why John can have faith. You, you know, in, in our world, isn't it easy to live in fear? Yes? Isn't it easy to live in fear and wondering what? in the heck is going on? I, here's what you need to know. God's not in heaven going, oh man, I thought we had USA on our side. Don't, don't California my Texas, right? 
God's not worried about it. And we shouldn't be either. Because what is, what's the reason that, that God could today, right now, say to you and his church, don't be afraid? Well, what's he tell John? What does he say? I'm the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand. The seven golden lampstands. The seven stars. The angels of the seven churches. The seven lampstands which you are saw are the seven churches. What Jesus says to John, what Jesus would say to us today is, do not be afraid because I am alive. Can you say amen to that? And Jesus would say, because I live, I'm the firstborn of the dead, is what we just read. And because he is alive, we as followers of Jesus will also live forever. And knowing where you're going, gives courage for the journey. He goes on to talk about the seven stars and the seven lampstands, and the stars simply represent the angels. I think the angels, he's rep- that, that what he's really saying is not like spiritual beings of angels. I think it's directly speaking of the next two chapters of the angels being the pastors, the messengers of the churches, because in every other letter we're going to read in uh, Revelation 2 and verse 3, uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 say, to the angel at Ephesus, or to the pastor, to the messenger at Ephesus. And then he says the, the seven lampstands, it's the seven churches that he speaks of. And what's our responsibility as a church? A lampstand? What are we to hold up? Jesus, the light. He's the light of the world, and he says that as followers of Jesus, we are now the light of the world. But really what we are is a candlestick. The Bible says that if we will glorify the name of Jesus, he will draw all men unto himself. Our goal as a church is to lift high the name of Jesus. And because he lives we can live. So what's, what's the singular thought this morning? That Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12. I told you we'd get there. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. It'll be on the screen this morning as well. Hebrews chapter 12. Paul writing, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight the distractions, the worries, the fears, the lack of faith, the bills, the kids don't listen. Let us lie aside every weight 
and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen, church, the, the world, here, I have bad news for you this morning. I, I do not believe that America is getting closer to God. But let's be honest, America is a reflection of the church of America. Because what does the darkness do? It just gets darker. Who has the light? We do. The church does. And if the church would shine the light of Jesus in a dark place, darkness will be dispelled. But I, listen, I don't, think, I don't think that our culture in America is going to be more appreciative of our message as the years go by. Do you, do you see that? I think that we are going to enter a period of time that is going to be much more difficult to be a follower of Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you agree with that? But you know what? I, when you study church history, then any time persecution enters into the church, what does the gospel do? It grows. It spreads like wildfire. And that's why John writes to the churches who are under persecution that we can't even begin to understand. History would tell us that Nero would, would drench followers of Jesus in oil, put them on pedestals in the city, and light them on fire to light the streets at night. Welcome to church this morning. It's an exciting day, right? And this is why it's so important to understand why John is writing this, because John wants us to be settled in our mind that we know where we're going, because when we know where we're going, it gives us courage for the journey. I'm 48 years old, almost 49. The reality is, most likely, the ministry I have in front of me is a shorter distance than the ministry I have behind me. And what I don't want to do as a pastor of Hallmark is to just be settled. There are people all over our community that don't know Jesus. And Paul says to us, Man, put, a, put aside the distractions, the preferences, the things we like to argue about. Put them away. Put away the sin that distracts you, that ensnares you, and run to Jesus. Because Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. How dare us echo the holiness of God in this room, but not outside? And how will we have strength? We know Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. What does it say? The next verse, Hebrews 12, 2. 
looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what was the joy that was set before Jesus? It was you, your salvation, grace. Because of you, he endured the cross. And now, he sits at the right hand of God. And may we, as followers of Jesus, every single day, look to Jesus. And if we will look to Jesus, he will give strength for the journey. I want to ask you to close your eyes for a moment as the band makes their way to the stage. And this morning, I don't want to take a long time challenging you. What I want you to do is this. In a moment when we sing, you don't have to wait. You can do it now. If you need strength for the journey, if God has given you a glimpse of his glory, if you need to repent, if you just need to see God, let's do what John did. Let's do what Isaiah did. Let's fall on our face before God at the altar of God and just say, God, forgive me for letting whatever else get between me and you. God, forgive me for worrying about X, Y, and Z when my neighbor doesn't know Jesus, when my coworker doesn't know Jesus, when my classmate doesn't know Jesus, when my mom, my grandmother, my aunt, my uncle, they don't know Jesus. And may we look to Jesus. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray. If you wanna come forward right now, come. And let's just fall on our knees before God and ask God to give us strength for the journey.